Hi there. Thanks for joining me on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga and the creator of the Momentum Magic Method, the way to become a confident teacher who seamlessly shares cues and easily creates sequences, whose classes are transformational, not just transactions, who understands anatomy and who shares their passion in a unique and authentic way. On the podcast, you'll hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal growth because having a strong and healthy mindset is such an important piece of being a confident teacher. In addition to the podcast, follow me on Instagram and TikTok for daily videos on teaching topics. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Hi there. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 259. I'm actually going to check because I wrote down what episode it was. And yeah, 259. Wow. We are just like flying through here. It's just so exciting to just see the traction. Um, so I hope you've been listening. If you are new to the podcast, thank you so much for joining in. If you have been listening for a while, but you missed last week's episode, it's a really important episode. So go back and listen to it. It's about a different topic than I'll be covering today, but it's a topic that is really, really important. And it has to do with teaching safe classes, but I bet I don't take it from the angle that you might think. So that's why it's really important. It's a very, um, I hate to overuse the word again, it's a very important part of my message, my platform, my methodology of teaching teachers to empower you, to give you agency back instead of what I hear from so many yoga teachers that they're giving their agency away. And believe it or not, the concept of teaching a safe class is one where you give your agency away to um, a myth that is out there. So I'm not going to say any more. I want you to go and listen to that episode if you missed it. So I'm recording this on September 21st. This will go live on the 25th, which is my birthday week because my birthday is the 29th. My dad's birthday is the 28th. So as we get to the end of September, uh, I always get really excited for that. And so today I wanted to start out with just a quick story and yoga related, of course, and then dive into a particular uh, topic that has to do with beliefs. But the reason I wanted to start out with a story is because I was listening to a podcast today and uh, it was about branding and personal brands. And it had to do with when you have a personal brand it ha the speaker was was speaking about the idea of putting yourself in the place of the people that you want to help and i know that many times when i speak to yoga teachers they'll say to me oh i've been following you on instagram and i would love to be teaching more like you or i'd love to have your confidence or whatever the statement is and I wanted to use this opportunity right here, right now to let you know that I was not, <laughs> I was definitely not always like this. Matter of fact, I was, you know, 
triggered by a lot of things that triggered my own insecurity. Things like people I knew for a long, long time that got the cover of Yoga Journal, people that had teaching opportunities to teach with my original mentor, Baron Baptiste, that I didn't get, people that had opportunities to teach in certain teaching slots that I wanted that I didn't get. I got to the point where I had built up so, built up so many stories that in my mind proved why I could not be a confident, authentic teacher making an impact. And I, I was really, really convinced that all of those external reasons were the region, reasons why I was not teaching in a way that I wanted. And so I wanted to share that with you because if you've been a short-term, long-term, or a first-time listener of this show, especially if you're a first-time listener and maybe you found it from my Instagram, but for any kind of time that you've been listening to it. I want you to know that I've been where you are. And I don't, of course, know where you are. This is a one-way conversation. But if you are in a place where you would like to progress as a teacher, you'd like to be more confident, you'd like to have less fear, you know, I have been in all those places too. And in fact, I can remember a time when and this kind of gets into both the branding and the personal development, I can remember a time very, very clear in my past uh, where I was very, very, very much committed to teaching for, for Baron. And I had left my corporate job. I had sold my house. I had moved into a condo closer to the studio. And all of it was done in a very methodical, pragmatic way. But I had put all my eggs in that basket. And very shortly, I would say within a year to 18 months, I had built up $30,000 of debt. And I built that up because the money I was making teaching did not cover all my expenses. And I had done a lot of financial plans before I left my corporate job. I had actually started working as a personal chef to make some extra money while I built up my teaching schedule, but there was always a scalability problem. I could never branch out enough to make the income that I wanted because I was tied to that one studio. And my opportunities were to a certain extent limited because a lot of my schedule was driven by needing to be there at certain times, but the rate that I was making was also tied to that studio. So I got to a point, I'll never forget it. I was on the phone with my mom and dad, and I literally can put myself right now in the space and place I was in. I was standing in my bedroom in my old apartment, my old condo uh, that I had bought in Charlestown, which is a neighborhood of Boston. And I remember sort of stomping my feet on the ground and telling my dad about the 30 grand in debt. And I remember him saying to me, well, Karen, look, it's a pretty simple decision. You're just going to need to go back to your corporate job or a corporate job. And I remember saying, no, I don't want to do that. This means I'm giving up. I'm giving up on my dream. But I knew in my mind he was right. And so what I did was I did go back to work. I called my old boss. I remember he said to me as soon as he picked up the phone, so you're giving up on that yoga thing, right? Because <laughs> he never wanted me to quit. And uh, I said, no, not exactly. I'm going to do it part-time, but uh, can I have my old job back or something to that effect? Long story short, I went back to work. I taught on the side. I paid off my debt. This took about a year, a little more than a year. And when I decided to reemerge as a full-time 
uh, entrepreneur, it was as my own brand. It was as my own brand. That is when I created Bare Bones Yoga. But I wasn't embodying a confident teacher at that point. I was really kind of doing a lot of the mechanics from a business side, but I still had the fear. I didn't feel like I was showing up authentically. And there were a lot of personal things uh, that I did, personal development things that I did and skills-based learning that I did to get to the point where I am now, which is very confident, very much authentic in my own personal power and not fearful at all. But I wanted to bring this up because I wanted to let you know that if you are uh, feeling like you have some imposter syndrome, if you are fearful, if you are uh, lacking confidence, I have been where you are. So whatever you perceive when you look at me on video or hear me here on the podcast, I want you to know that I've been where you are. And I know, maybe not you, but I know when I talk to yoga teachers, there are many, many yoga teachers who want to be more confident, more authentic, more empowered. They want to be able to leave their full-time jobs to teach uh, and have a career as a full-time yoga teacher. They want to feel like they're making more of an impact. They want to feel like they're using their own words. Like if I've actually talked to you on the phone and you, for whatever reason, have not said yes, and you'll know what that means if you've talked to me on the phone, I want you to know that I still believe in what you shared with me as your vision. And it's just going to take when you believe in your vision enough to say, yes, that's when your vision will come true. And I had to go through that myself. I had to believe in my vision enough to say yes to certain programs and mentors. And it was only when I believed in my dream enough and my vision enough and said, yes, that things started to happen. It was when I sat in my fear and said, no, no, that's not possible. No, I don't have the money. No, I'm not ready. That things didn't happen. They stayed the same. I heard a metaphor, a really good metaphor on a podcast the other day. And I would highly recommend go over to the Rich Roll podcast and listen to his interview with Albert Brooks. He's a Harvard professor and he just released a book with Oprah about happiness. He also has an expertise in neuroscience. It's an amazing book and there is a lot there for yoga teachers around mindset. But one of the metaphors he used when he was talking about people who want to make changes in their life, but they're fearful of taking a step forward. He said, it's like you're sitting in an airport waiting for a delayed flight. And I was like, holy fuck. That is exactly what it's like when I speak with some yoga teachers. They are basically living their life like they're sitting in an airport waiting a delayed flight, meaning they know there's something out there, i.e. the flight. They know there's something out there that is the flight they want to get on, right? Quote unquote, the flight they want to get on, but they're delayed. They're delayed because they don't have the money. They're delayed because they're fearful. They're delayed because it's not enough. They don't have enough time. I mean, the people that list off to me the litany of things they think they have as barriers in their time management situation that would prevent them from investing in themselves so that they can be the teacher they want to be. I mean, down to like, I need to pick my daughter up for this, that, and the other. And it's like, hey, we all have that. Everybody has that. 
Everybody has that. And what it takes is for you to say, I believe in my vision more than I believe in my excuses. I believe in my vision more than I believe in my excuses. And so I wanted to share that with you, um, you know, to let you know that it's been a journey for me. It's been a path for me. And I've, I've also been in situations where I've said no, but that was many, many years ago. Matter of fact, I just heard something today that is, I know going to be a life-changing opportunity for me. And I can't wait to get on the phone with this person to say yes to this. And there's a little part of me that's like, Ooh, but I know that it's 100% the right decision. And so I can't wait to, to make this a reality for me. So having said that, I want to um, spend today and this episode talking about a particular topic and it has to do with belief. Now you may say, oh, Karen, why aren't you gonna talk about anatomy? Why aren't you gonna talk about cues? Why aren't you gonna talk about sequencing? I like to talk about all that as well because I know that the skills that I can help you build will lead to more confidence. But the interesting thing is when, whenever I meet with a yoga teacher, maybe they've enrolled in my program and we're having a coaching session or I'm speaking to a teacher on a phone call, uh, getting to know them better, um, what always comes up is that there is a belief that is driving their actions and the actions are what is leading to the negative feeling they don't want. So the reason I wanted to cover this with you today is because if I just stay at the level of speaking to you about skills and teaching you skills, and I don't get to the underlying belief or at least help you recognize that that's part of what is potentially driving you to do things that cause behaviors that you don't or feelings that you don't want, then I haven't done my job, right? I haven't done my full job. Otherwise, I'm just staying at the level of where most 200, 300, and 500 hour teacher training stay, which is being in the business of sharing knowledge. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when we share knowledge and we don't also share the beliefs that underlie it, and we don't have beliefs that underlie it that empower the teacher, that's a problem. And many, many yoga teachers tell me they feel like they need permission to do things the way they want to do it. And that's because the way teachers are trained in the industry is that there's a right way, do it this way. This is the way to do it. And it's not like that. It is not like that. We are teaching a nuanced sort of thing to people we don't know. There is a lot of nuance involved and therefore it is not a binary thing, a right and a wrong way. And when we keep churning teachers through a permission, a, a system that's predicated on this idea of there's a right way to teach, right way to cue, right way to sequence, got to have a peak pose, got to cue to breath, step four, blah, blah, What we create are dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of teachers that come out of training and feel like they need 
permission. And I am here to tell you, you do not need permission from anybody to do what you want in the studio, in the classroom, in the community center, in the nonprofit, in the school, in the private. You don't need anybody's permission. And until you own that and appreciate that and really believe it, you will not find your true power as a teacher. And when you find your true power as a teacher, you will empower your students. When you find your true power as a teacher, only then will you empower your students because otherwise you're just at this level of mother may I, mother may I have a teach a peak pose, mother may I, and that's not an empowered, authentic, confident teacher, but it's not your fault. It is not your fault. It is the way teachers are trained, which is why I am so committed to reaching as many teachers as possible to share my methodology, the Momentum Magic Method, because it is a very different way to learn how to teach yoga and one that is so much more rewarding and so much more empowering for you than a permission-based system. So what I wanted to talk about, this main idea here is that the hidden beliefs we have as yoga teachers drive our behaviors and can lead us to these negative feelings about teaching yoga until we uncover the belief. So I want to give you an example of this. I was um, recently working with a teacher who did enroll in my program recently and we were talking about how she's teaching her classes and she's doing the practice with the class. And so I was asking her how much of the practice, a little bit, a lot, something in the middle. And she said, I'm doing the whole thing. And I said, even the things on the belly, like like uh, 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 locust and bow, bridge and wheel. Yes, 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 yes. And she was realizing as we were, we were talking and she was explaining how much yoga she was doing with them, she was realizing the the problem with that right i mean especially when you get down on your belly when you're on your back not only can you not see them they can't hear you your voice is wavering your voice is not steady it's impossible for it to be any of those good qualities because you're doing these strenuous postures and so as she had the courage to share this with me and as she was being open minded she was also questioning you know if i don't do that if i don't practice with my class how are they going to know what to do? They need me to do it because that's how they know what to do. So her feeling was, I wish I didn't practice with my class all the time, but they're always looking at me. They're looking at me like they want me to do it. Her belief was that they need me to practice with them because that's how they're going to know what to do. Now, she interestingly enough, right around this time, I was getting ready the next day to teach a wellness event um, where I was going to be doing meditation and an anatomy lesson and a yoga class and yoga nidra. And she was coming. And so she came to the event the next day. I didn't do any yoga with the students. This was virtual. And afterwards she sent me an email and she said, Karen, <laughs> You practice, essentially, she said, you, pra you really practice what you preach. Seeing is believing. When you taught us, you didn't do any yoga. And it was, 
it was amazing. It, the cues were clear. I knew what to do. Seeing is believing. And so through her getting that evidence by coming to my, my class, my event, she could have proof that it was possible for her to do the same thing. So oftentimes when we're out there as yoga teachers, having certain beliefs that are driving our behaviors, we need that proof so that we can see there is another way. There is another way that's possible for me. And this is what sometimes can be so baffling for teachers because they have the negative feeling. Like in this case, I wish I didn't have to practice with my class, but they don't understand or they don't see the hidden belief that's driving them to do it. So what's behind practicing with class? There's a fear. Many yoga teachers have a fear of being seen. So they hide on the yoga mat. They feel fear they're going to lose track of where they are in the sequence. They feel like when I practice with my class, that's how I know how, that's how I find my cues. They come from my own experience and my own body. So all of these things, the, the feeling that their students are visual learners, the feeling that my students have to see me doing it in order to, to learn it, all of these things shore up this belief that I need to practice with my class. So let's now look at, you know, especially in the example I gave you, you know, this, this teacher saw evidence that poked holes in her belief because she took a class where I did no yoga and she said it was great. It was fine. She, she could do, there was no gap in there for her. Um, but there's also sort of that academic piece of, well, let's walk through what some of the benefits are to students if teachers don't practice with them. Well, there's the benefit of they can hear you better. You can see them better. You can adjust your cues based on what you see is happening in the room. And then let's talk about the benefit to the teacher. There's less wavering in your voice because you're not moving around doing the practice. You can reclaim your practice for your self-care when you stop practicing with your class. I mean, the number of teachers that tell me when I get on the call, a call with them, how long they've been practicing, you know, again, your practice is your practice. It really has very little to do with you as a teacher. If it had anything to do with you as a teacher, anybody that practices yoga could teach it, but that's not, that's not what happens because teaching yoga is not easy. Even if we've been practicing for 20 years, the skill to articulate the practice, the courage to stand in front of a class and be seen, the skill of understanding anatomy and making it understandable for your students, the ability to pull together a cohesive sequence, those are all skills that not everybody has. And so how long you've been practicing really has little to do with you as a teacher because we're not leveraging your practice when you are teaching. And when you separate the two, guess what you get? You get your practice back. I call it breaking up with your practice as the source of your cues. You get your practice back when you stop using it as part of teaching. You have more energy to teach, right? Because you're not 
giving up all your energy to the practice. You can see the positive impact of your students when they're moving on the mat in response to your cues. I can tell you there's nothing more rewarding than sharing a cue, watching a bunch of bodies move in unison to what you're in unison to what you're saying. You're missing out on those opportunities if you're on the mat. So how to start the transition to the walk and talk, what I call the walk and talk. I mean, obviously teachers walking around the room and talking is nothing that I've invented, but I call it the walk and talk and I've not heard anybody else call it that. So I call it that so that you can understand the walk and talk is part of my teaching methodology. It's part of what I will teach you to do. But I'm gonna give you some tips today on how to get started. Number one, ask yourself, are you willing to try something different? Because if you're not, just end this podcast now. Don't waste your time. But if you're willing to try something different, if you recognize that you're not thrilled, not happy, don't feel rewarded, sort of wish you didn't have to practice with your class all the time, then this is a perfect place for you to start. So number one, ask yourself, are you willing? Number two, turn the mat to face them. No longer have the mat perpendicular to them. Turn the mat to face them. This will at least allow you to see them even if you are practicing with them. Number three, walk in the room and for the first five minutes, don't do anything except cue them. Allow yourself to be seen. Notice the feelings that come up because I promise you the reason you're practicing with your class is because you're afraid. You're afraid to let them see you. You're afraid you're going to get lost in the sequence. You're afraid they're going to judge you. You're afraid you're going to trip over your words and you're not going to know the cues to say. It's all fear at the root of it. So start to test yourself, walk in the room and for the first five minutes, hi, so glad to see you. My name is Karen. We're going to start today in child's pose. Please come on to your hands and knees and then sit back into child's pose. Take a couple deep breaths. You know, I know at this point they're in child's pose. They're not even looking at you, but you're standing there and you're allowing them. If they do look up to see you, you're allowing yourself to embody this person that is able to be seen. So that's number three. Number four, start to transition to less practice by avoiding shapes where your hands are on the mat. This is a big next step. And if you can start to transition through this plan I'm giving you, this will shortly allow you to start to transition to doing the walk and talk. So I'll review it again. Number one, ask yourself, am I willing to do something different? Number two, turn your mat to face forward. Number three, walk in the room and allow yourself to be seen for the first five minutes of class. Don't do any practice. And number four, start to transition from anything where your hands are on the ground. Number five, you must use clear cues. You must. Because if you've created a dependency on your students, between you and your students, and your students are dependent on you to do the practice, you must use clear cues. That means no artistic speak, no yoga speak, no esoteric language, no Sanskrit, just very clear action cues. 
this will help your students begin to decrease their dependency on you uh, to be doing it. And then the last thing is just say to your students at the beginning of class, hey, I know a lot of times I throw a mat down and I do a lot with you. Guess what? I'm going to cue you through the class today as a way to give you your practice back or as a way to give you an opportunity to really dive into your practice or to give you a way to really notice what's going on in your body, to give you a way to build your awareness. There's a lots of There's a lot of ways you can frame it. And if you feel it necessary, or you notice when you begin to teach, a lot of them are looking up at you, you can just gently encourage them to keep the gaze at one point. You may notice I'm not doing a lot of yoga today. I want to give you an opportunity to really dive into your practice. Just keep gently reinforcing that. Remember, friend, you have built a dependency with your students. And if you go into the room and now begin to practice less with them, they're justified in looking up at you because you've created that expectation that, quote, that is how yoga is done, end quote. But that's not how yoga is done. I mean, sure, you can probably look at dozens and dozens of videos of Iyengar and, and Bikram, and they probably did yoga. Although I actually think when you look at some of those old videos, they were actually sitting on a dais. They were just like sitting. I remember vividly pictures of Bikram and he sat on some platform uh, and they actually had mirrors. So they actually, I don't think did a lot of yoga with their students. I actually think they didn't walk around either. But, you know, the point is if you've built that dependency, of course, people are going to look up. And so you have to speak to the elephant in the room because you created the elephant, but that doesn't mean you have to still have the elephant there. And this is what I mean about the more empowered you become, the more comfortable you'll be setting the tone. You set the tone. You are the teacher. For many teachers, they're letting the tail wag the dog. Oh, they'll get bored. Oh, they want more core. Oh, they want this. Oh, their expectation is that. Oh, this. Oh, that. No, no, you're the teacher. Your students want you to show up and be the teacher. And you can do it. You can do it. I know you can do it. You probably just need, you maybe just need a little support, some skill building and some belief busting. And that is what I teach inside my program. So I hope that you found this helpful. I'm looking forward to talking to you on the next episode. If you've listened to this episode and there are aspects of this that really hit home for you, especially the pieces about the fear and the wanting to have permission, and this really sounds like you, I want you to send me a direct message and use this podcast, episode 259, say episode 259, it is me. And I'll get in touch with you through the DMs and we'll start a conversation and I'll see if you are a yoga teacher that I can help move past these problems so that you can go out and be a confident teacher that makes an amazing impact. Thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you again on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Namaste. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And as a special thanks, DM me the words podcast offer. And I'll share with you a special opportunity for yoga teachers who are ready to be confident and skilled 
and drop all the prep time you most likely are doing, getting ready for class, drop practicing with class and instead do what I call the walk and talk, drop using the same cues over and over and drop worrying what other people think. If this is you and you're ready to step into your most powerful, authentic way of teaching, just DM me the words podcast offer on my Instagram and I'll tell you how I can help you.